Jordi Miller and welcome to the Empower Women series of May. We're going to be discussing today one of the topics that I am personally more interested in and excited about and is in sustainable investing. And um, today we are joined by Jennifer Sulo. She is a principal at Rokuten Investment Advisors, our research partner firm. How are you doing, Jennifer? I'm great. Thanks, Jordy. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Um, uh, me, me and Jen uh, talk on the phone, I would say, often. And, and, I, and, I, and I have to be honest, working from home makes me realize that our interactions haven't changed that much. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we, we tend to have deep conversations about sustainable or ESG investing often, and, and I hope we have one today. Um, the first question I wanted to ask you, Jen, and, and digging into a topic that I think is in top is top of mind for a lot of people uh, through this pandemic is how their money works or, or how their investment is going. I wanted to just tackle um, the definition of what sustainable investing is. Uh, there's a ton of different ways to approach this conversation, and I think you would be the right person to start that. Got it. Great. So thanks, Jordi. So so I think that would be really helpful to first let's define it and then talk about the different ways that we can implement it. Yes. So, so there's lots and lots of monikers for sustainable sustainable investing, ESG investing, SRI investing, green bonds. And so let's talk about that. Um, I Sustainable investing, a little history first, started as socially responsible investing, and it's evolved Quite a bit from then. So that that movement was rooted originally in the religious values and social movements of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Now, fast forward now to the 21st century. Today, ethical considerations and alignment with values remain common objectives for lots of investors, but the field is rapidly growing and rapidly evolving. And lots of investors are looking to incorporate not just specific thematic values, but they're looking to incorporate environmental, social, and governance, or ESG factors, into the investment process along with traditional financial analysis. This is this is something that um, I personally hear uh, as one of those kind of like misunderstood misunderstandings of uh, of sustainable investing, which is people that have looked at this type of investing, I would say, 10, 15 years ago, and they have not looked back or like researched it recently would are missing a lot. Like like this is a space that has evolved and, and has become instead of exclusionary, as probably was in the past, to be a completely advanced type of investing. Right. Exactly. So I would say you're you're spot on. It's more integrated, integrative. Um, and I'm going to sp- explain what that means shortly. But I think to your point, recent demand stems largely from three different channels we're seeing. The first one being investors are recognizing that sustainable factors can add value and mitigate risk. Second one being product proliferation and massive growth and this kind and quality of sustainable investing strategies is available now. And the third one being investors are choosing to invest their portfolios in a manner that increases their impact. So we're in the middle of a $30 trillion intergenerational wealth transfer from baby boomers to their children. And not only are millennials, but people from 25 to 40 years old are simply thinking about their investment decisions differently. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more with you. I I personally also fall in this category where I definitely want to see a little bit more through where my investments or the decisions on my investments go. So so ESG has become uh, a way of doing that. Yes, you want transparency. And I think 
that everyone should have transparency. You should understand how you're invested. And so the um, what we'll focus mostly on today is ESG, which is the incorporation of non-financial information. And in its simplest terms, I think ESG simply brings another level of information to the investment process. And I would argue it's no longer morals or ethics based like it used to be a few decades ago. It's actually investment based now. <laughs> Jen, thank you for bringing for keeping me on track. <laughs> it's like, uh, I, as I said before, me and Jen talk up on the phone and I tend to sometimes just start questioning from many different aspects. Was, yes, let's focus on, on what we decided to focus today. Um, I do want to I do want to like move specifically to what areas ESG covers in like 2020. What what can, what do we know it's in, included when we're discussing ESG? Sure. So um, lots of people think about ESG and say, oh, let me carve out a piece of my portfolio to to start thinking about ESG. And the way that I try to um, think about it more so myself is from a holistic approach. So you don't have to just pick equities. You don't have to just pick one strategy that's going to be your sustainable carve out. This is really you can do this across a multitude of asset classes. There's solutions available not only in the equity world, which uh, are more prevalent, but in the last few years, there's been fixed income solutions that have come out. And of course, lots of different alternative or thematic investments that you could use uh, as diversifiers. Yeah, perfect. And then, um, it, and that's good to know, because if you've been in investment world for the last few decades, the carve out part uh, mentality used to be the most prevalent mentality, right? Because there was not an approach to invest in every area of your portfolio. But now that, that has changed and it has become more a way of investing instead of just like part of your investments. And I'm very happy to hear that also from you. Um, Correct. The, the, I want to move specifically so people understand like when we said environmental, social and governance, what specific areas those three categories today are covering or that are looked at when, when we look? And, and I know for the information you share with us, environmental seems to be very kind of like straightforward, you know, climate change, carbon emissions, water use, conservation, etc. But the social and the governance sometimes are overlooked or undereducated. Um, so do you mind explaining a little more those two? Sure. So, and I think you're spot on. I think that the environmental part of this has gotten a lot of attention in the past few years, largely because so many firms are focused on climate change and their fossil uh, fuel footprint. Um, but I think largely as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, people are very focused on the social element. So we'll talk about, I'm going to punt on that one now, and I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to bring it up a level before I answer it. So so there's, when I think about uh, sustainable investing, which is the umbrella of all of this falls under, sustainable investing is kind of the, the widest term, widest net I could throw out there to capture all these different types of implementation strategies. But there's two different ways. It's There's avoid and advance. So avoid is as you mentioned, Jordy, stripping out things out of your portfolio, alcohol, tobacco, weapons, fossil fuel, you're taking chunks and you're just saying, I'm not going to invest in these types of things. The advanced part of this is what we put ESG under. So ESG, what we're looking to do is we are not looking to exclude sectors. We're looking at the same investable universe as a non-ESG mandate. We're not cutting out oil exposure. We're certainly looking for the option that may be cleaner than the rest, the best house in a bad neighborhood metaphor, if you will, but we're not saying we're not investing in certain things. Second, 
ESG strategies should be evaluated with the same research rigor as non-ESG strategies. And what I mean by that is uh, if something's lacking in the strategy, for example, performance isn't compelling or there's been portfolio management turnover, the strategy doesn't get a pass just because it's ESG labeled. ESG strategies should be held to the same research rigor as non-ESG strategies. I want to make sure we, we highlight that because that is something that I think is so prevalent in the mentality of investors that that it gets again it gets overlooked uh, and and I want to rephrase it maybe just in a more casual term which is investments that are usually recommended for ESG or most likely recommended to be uh, part of your portfolio but are categorized as ESG go through the same due diligence as the regular investments this is an added layer of of a quality is not a a minus layer of quality. Correct. I think that you just explained it a, so much better than me. No, that's not uh, true. <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna answer your question more directly now. With what does it mean to invest in E the environment, S the social, and G the government governance? Well, E means that we may be taking into consideration things like carbon footprint or climate change or water use, pollution, kind of clean technology, renewable energy. That those types of things that are I think a little bit more measurable relative to some of the other criteria. Social implications are like labor policies and relations, workplace benefits that are coming, you know, up in the news right now with what we're going through in our evolving market marketplace, human rights types of things. And then from a governance perspective, it's really transparency into how the company functions transparency into executive compensation, business ethics. I think governance is largely a given now. If if you're not willing to give transparency there, I think investors are just saying, you know what, we can't invest if we don't have this type of information. I think the environmental and social aspects are a little bit more of what's what's new. Yeah. And um, another point that I think it's important to point out uh, right now is another point that's important to point out. Look at that. Uh, Another point that it's important to highlight today is that Getting this information from companies or or from uh, big organizations most of the time is done in a voluntarily basis, especially in the United States compared to Europe, uh, which also creates a little bit of uh, of need of being even more due diligence of what gets reported out there for companies, and that's why it's good to go to to kind of like really find out what these companies are doing, like really read through the lines, because getting a stamp that you are ESG does not necessarily mean somebody went and like really checked that they were ESG. Correct. So, so to that avail, I think you're right. Lots of investors are starting to get on board with this. I mean, I can cite a few statistics here. Since its founding in 2006, the United Nations Principles for Responsible Responsible Investing, or you might know them as PRI, they've attracted support from 3,000 signatories. I think last year, Jordy, when we were talking, we were closer to 2,000. So signatories commit um, to voluntary principles, but the first one means that you're integrating ESG issues into investment analysis and decision-making. So 3,000 firms doing that, that's, that's not a small number. Yeah, it's as this entire industry has, has completely increased, and I think you you mentioned a little bit of... Uh... Uh, some somewhere along the lines from 2,000 signatories a year ago to like 3,000 today. That just tells you how many companies are really caring about this. Um, those are the ones that are committed to the United Nations PRI. But a lot of people are starting to claim uh, their 
their sustainability, their ESG commitments. And I wanted to point out that in the United States today, uh, government does not require any metrics on this. So a lot of information is voluntarily. And obviously that has its consequences. Yes. So there's been a significant amount of greenwashing. Things as simple as Morningstar can, you know, give you some more uh, granular statistics, but funds simply just changing their names to say that they're sustainable. So you're right. Um, right now, there is no bar guidelines, if you will. I know that the DOL actually is looking to create guidelines. So I would not be surprised if they came out in the next few years. I also know the CFA Society is very focused on thinking through kind of what the, the uh, benchmark should be for this type of thing. Oh, that's actually great to hear. I didn't know that. And I'm assuming DOL would focus definitely more on the S and the G part of the ESG but that's that's actually extremely good news um, I I want to move it there's so much to ask about this topic and I think what's in everybody's mind right now is well we just went through a huge shock in the in the financial markets and I thought this would be a good way to like not like stress test this kind of investments but also just like look back and see how they did in general and who better to talk about that than you? <laughs> so mm -hmm. do, do you mind just giving us a little bit of an overview of what you have uh, experienced and, and saw in through this COVID-19 crisis with ESG investments? Sure. So, so let's first talk about fund flows, and then we'll talk about performance, and then we'll talk about trends. So from a fund flow perspective, Morningstar just came out with a report, uh, a record-breaking report that actually last month in April 2020, there was 5.7 billion in inflows to sustainable funds. Um, Harvard also recently published a paper called um, Corporate Resilience and Response During COVID-19, which concluded that companies responding in a way that protects employees, basically avoiding layoffs, paying sick leave, et cetera, they're, that companies that are managing supply chain risk, basically avoiding um, disruption safely, and also repurposing operations like making masks, helping with ventilators, those types of country, companies had higher institutional money flows and less negative returns. So that's just a couple statistics for you on fund flows and, and the company positioning and how it's evolving. Let's talk about performance next. So, you know, like all funds, sustainable funds suffered sudden large losses during the first quarter of 2020 because of the coronavirus pandemic among, amongst other uh, evolving market conditions. But the bright side of that is that they did hold up better than conventional funds. So in the first quarter of 2020, 24 of 26 ESG index funds outperformed their conventional index benchmarks across U.S., non-U.S., developed markets, and emerging market equities, according to Morningstar. So, so just to walk you through an example, the S&P 500 ESG index, as well as the MSCI Acqui ESG Leaders Index, outperformed their traditional non-ESG counterparts. So the results are even favorable when you're looking across all open-ended or exchange-traded funds, so not just mutual funds, with 44% of ETFs ranking in the top quartile of the Morningstar category and only 11% of those finishing in the bottom quartile. So in addition to that, I just saw a report yesterday that Just Capital also reported that companies that prioritize workers outperformed their peers by 7.3%. So I think, you know, they're prior to you know, all this craziness, there were lots and lots of reports out there. And I think, um, hmm. 
Yeah, that's. I mean, I. I it kind of makes sense when you say it, right? Like, like especially going through a stress test like this, Jen. It's like it, I remember back in a, in an event that you were um, very like gracious to ho to host with us uh, regarding ESG. Part of the conversation was about why would companies long-term perform better in this space and it was well employees want to work there right like the best people want to work there and then there's more commitment and then across the entire spectrum of operations this, this can become a really positive thing for companies so so this is like an example of that and we just lived through one Correct. So, I mean, before all this, I used to have to point to like a meta study that was done, which basically used empirical studies from 2,200 different surveys and found a favorable correlation between returns and ESG factors. And now we've got just very current data that is proving this out, although it's a very short term basis, of course, as you know. So let's talk about trends for a minute. I think there's some really cool things happening right now. Um, so some of you, you know, maybe sitting there saying, well, all this sounds great, or at least I hope that's what you're thinking. Um, how, <laughs> how can I focus on this during a pandemic? I mean, my portfolio is down. I'm focused on trying to recuperate those losses, not like how to make my portfolio sustainable. And I would say to you that the COVID-19 pandemic illustrates more than ever the materiality of non-financial risks. So let's just walk through that. From a social perspective, companies with superior human capital practices and policies may have competitive advantages with employee morale, customer loyalty, and brand value. Investors are starting to track and rate parameters like employee treatment through benefits as, as well as medical leave, paid sick leave, etc. From a governance perspective, there's a keen eye right now on companies that have strong governance practices. So imagine companies that don't have business continuity practices. They're just shut down right now. They can't do anything. So these are the types of governance things that, that we're now tracking. That, are tracking senior executives that have reduced their pay. That's another example of, of a governance factor. And then what I think is most notable is the environmental implications. Um, so many of you might have seen the recent NASA report that indicated air pollution as measured by nitrogen dioxide levels was 30% lower in March between Washington, D.C. and Boston compared to the March average between 2019 and 2020. Uh, 2015. And then same statistics or similar statistics across Europe and India. Now you can see the Himalayas. So folks may come out of this, this whole um, pandemic with a renewed focus on climate change and how they can modify their externalities as companies and as stakeholders, including folks like you and I are more focused on this. I love your positive uh, view of what's coming next. <laughs> so so I, I really appreciate that. But um, I, yeah, just to to like re recap a little bit of what you just mentioned, because uh, you, you said a lot in there, which was so important. Uh, performance is becoming one of those things that we, we're starting to finally get some metrics on how these organizations and these funds are actually performing. And to, to, to just be conservative on this, they're at least not performing less. <laughs> so so let's just let's just stay that right now and try to get rid of that myth as much as possible, uh, at least on the on the ESG space, because that's a myth I hear. That's a myth uh, advisors feel around the country, and and that's just what it is. It's a myth. <laughs> Performance is definitely proven to be at least just as good or just as equal as regular indexes. 
Um, that I wanted to ask you another question, which this is kind of like um, uh, it definitely gets into the into the performance or sorry portfolio construction side of things. But but it is how to start transitioning from a regular portfolio to ESG. Like how difficult it is these days. Does the sitting ball? Can you just do it yourself? Uh, like like how would you approach this conversation at the beginning? Sure. So I think there's a multitude of ways that you could implement this type of investing. Um, the way that I personally think about it is first, um, you know, you want to have a good understanding of what you're looking to achieve. So sitting down and actually thinking about your values and how you want your capital to align with those values. And second, thinking about the financial implications of making changes in your portfolio. So I am not a proponent of just turning portfolios and saying, let's just throw all this out and get all this new stuff because there are so many strategies out there right now that are actually doing this and implementing these E, S, and G factors. And they're just not named sustainable strategies. So most of the bigger companies out there, they're already incorporating some kind of ESG factor into their risk analysis and onto their portfolio management dashboards. So first, I think, get an understanding of how you're invested today. And then if there's any kind of red flags that say, that indicate to you, you know what, I don't want to be aligned with this type of company. That's where I first focus is kind of taking care of the red flags and then slowly over time repositioning your portfolio to best align with how you want to be invested. Yeah. And thank you for saying that specifically, right? This is, this at the end of the day comes to an alignment of the investor's values with the investments. So it's, it's a process and everybody should spend some time on it. This is not a, a just like flip the switch and it's done. It, this is definitely uh, something to be reconsidered, something to be questioned often, right? And and to keep uh, a little bit of a maintenance on, on your portfolio once you're committed to doing this. Correct, I completely agree. Um, so the last question I wanted to ask you is, uh, and, and, and I know uh, in the event you cover a lot more, but what can I start doing tomorrow to get my portfolio closer to this? Sure. So, so the one thing I want you to take away from this conversation is that sustainable investing has gone mainstream. So you're not an outlier, Jordy, for wanting to do this. Thank you. Um, one, in, <laughs> <laughs> um, one in every four professionally managed dollars in the United States is aligned with sustainable investments. So what can you do to actually help do that within your own portfolio is I would encourage you to start thinking about your values. Hmm. Um, that's the first thing that you should do. And then just look at how you're currently invested and understand how you're currently invested before you start making changes. Awesome. Well, Jen, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know we have some technical difficulties today, but uh, this is this is just the reality of working from home these days. So, <laughs> so, so really appreciate your patience, and um, I, I'll make sure that I share your information uh, with everybody uh, on this podcast. Uh, it will be on the show notes. And uh, but thank you, thank you again, and we hope to talk to you soon. Perfect. Thanks, Jordy. Take care. And uh, to everybody listening, this was the Empower Women series of May on sustainable investing. My name is Jordy Mueller. And until next time, have a great day and stay safe. Lexington Wealth Management is a group of investment professionals registered by Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. And with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered independent investment advisor with the SEC. 
Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or, or the investment opportunities referred herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not guaranteed. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as a general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Lexington Wool Management and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no express or implied representation or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data on other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as the date of reference. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Lexington Well Management and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.